0: On today's episode of Titus and Tate, we are talking dingers, Tate. We're talking long balls, mm-hmm. we're talking moonshots. The chicks dig them. Um, we watched the the what do they call it? The Long Gone Summer documentary mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and suspicious lack of Ken Griffey Jr. in this thing. Like mm-hmm. they they gloss over it. They mention him, um, but this was all about Sosa and McGuire. Uh, and tate and i are big baseball fans and we we were we were going over what we wanted to talk about on the show today and honestly all that kept coming up was like we were we just kept talking about sosa mcguire king Griffey.
1: i do like the idea of sunday nights where we just get documentaries about past times and sports where yeah. i can kind of you know use the nostalgia the member barriers that we've talked about so many times and and jump back in that headspace and and what i remember about 1998 was that i remembered a lot more about 1998 and i remember And I don't know if it's just so much that we have going on now, but I remember watching those games on Saturdays, uh, the the Cubs and, you know, seeing Mm -hmm. Sammy Sosa with the hop and seeing Mark McGuire with the forearms that somehow had biceps. It made no sense. (laughs) Um, Obviously, in the future, we will figure out why and how this all came to be. But it it was a good it was a good thing for us to get in a headspace outside of uh, the no news of college basketball. So I want to talk. I'm excited. Yeah, as
0: a lifelong Cubs fan uh the the 98 season was I mean it was it was right in my wheelhouse so it was mm. it was fun to watch even though the documentary is basically like here is a here is video of every home run they hit during that season mm. <laughs> and like and then we'll cut to Mark McGuire saying yeah I really wanted the record and Sammy was like I was just out there having fun and that was pretty much the documentary. Um, it was, it was a ton of fun, so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the National Basketball Association is in the process of coming back. This is turning into my favorite segment I think we've ever really done on the show is, is every three days you and I get together and we evaluate where is the NBA on their path back to playing basketball. And uh, there's an update. There's an NBA update. Kyrie Irving led this phone call with all the guys. Uh, Patrick Beverly is tweeting things. Austin Rivers is letting his thoughts be heard. Um, a lot of guys are chiming in. And uh, the waters are getting murkier and murkier, Tate, as to whether the NBA is actually going to come back.
1: I will say this. Uh, about two or three weeks ago, as the reports were coming out, we saw an NBA unified front. And what we learned was that was because the NBA was the only people talking and letting people know what the plan was. Uh, the players were, were figuring out what the plan was, just like you and I and the rest of the public. They had questions. They asked Chris Paul uh, and the rest of the Players Association panel what the, what their questions and concerns were. And they had lots of them, and mm-hmm. uh, we have even more uh, questions and concerns. And I, I think it's a fun little thing, Titus. Like we don't know if we're going to get basketball, so it's like it, we don't know. Like it, it's just hope. We all we have is hope.
0: <laughs> Here's where we stand today. Um, finally, we, we are talking with Jason Capel, uh, assistant coach of Pittsburgh, brother of Jeff Capel, brother of the uh, uh, the guy that uh, is is making all the news, especially now with the Zion Williams lawsuit. Jason Cable, we want to talk to him because, first of all, Tate, you I don't need to tell you this. He was the better player. He was better than mm. his brother, um, mm. and, and we find that fascinating. But um, we we want to talk to more assistant coaches on this program. That's something we're trying to do. We're trying to get an assistant coach perspective. And and we had access to Jason Cable. We had him on. We talked about the North Carolina days. Does he hate Coach K as a North Carolina guy? Mm. Um, we, we talked to him about recruiting. How do you recruit for when you're on the staff of one of the great recruiters in the game? How do you – Live up to that standard. Um, we, we, we we ran the gamut with him. We we squeezed him dry of everything there was to talk about.
1: Well, I will be honest, Mark Titus. My only regret, I did not ask him about Joseph Forte, my favorite mm-hmm. player at North Carolina. And I, and I just couldn't bring it up because they had an 18-game win streak together. It was a beautiful time. It all fell apart against Penn State. You and I have both been hurt by Penn State before. Yep. Uh, shout out to Tony Carr. and uh, it, 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 not, not something I wanted to revisit, but uh, it was good to have Cable in the program.
0: Uh, so we are going to get to all of that. We are going to talk about this Florida uh, name-image likeness legislation that passed. Uh, the PGA is back. There's a lot for us to
1: hit on. But first... Woody Durham. Woody Durham.
0: All right, it is Monday afternoon, Monday evening. Uh I want to start by saying this state, I am currently in Colorado uh for the week. Uh I'm on a little mental health retreat. I, hmm. we'll put it that way. I had to get out of ballet. I had to uh to to come to the mountains and uh I don't know, try to try to just walk around Denver and Boulder area and see if uh see what I can find, and uh, just go from there. That's the plan right now.
1: That's a great plan, and I will say. Uh, I will pay attention to the altitude because I feel mm-hmm. like you know every time that you have an athlete of your caliber that goes to Denver, to the Mount High City, yep. we have to be concerned about breath. We have to be concerned about altitude. So these are things I'll keep an eye on while we you raise You raise a
0: good point. I went on a jog today, did a three-miler. Uh, mm-hmm. I was horrible, very slow, very slow time, very bad form. Um, and it's great because it's an experience I will now draw on for the rest of my sports punditry career. That'll be fun. That'll be fun to go. One little thought on Colorado, by the way. I've been here before, but I never really noticed it until now. Um, big time state flag state. That uh, that stands out to me. There there aren't a lot of states in this country. There are a lot of cool state flags, but there aren't a lot of states where the people are like obsessed with their state flag. It's like it, Maryland and Texas are the two that come to mind, and now mm. Colorado. I'm putting them on the list. Is there anyone else we need to add to this list? Like not not the the question isn't who has a cool state flag. The question is like. Which people go absolutely apeshit for their own state flag?
1: I mean, California by the California's beach, up there. They, yeah, yeah. they do the love bear, the state yeah, flag. Yeah. yeah, they love the bear. And I mean, North Carolina they love the state flag. Texas is great. Yeah, the Lone Star State they love that. Yeah, but I Texas, think Maryland is number one. Just Maryland has to be number the one. The egregious use on their uniform.
0: Oh yeah, they put it on the school. Once you put it on, you're incorporating it into the school uniforms. Maryland has to be number one. I think Texas because they were their own country. They get really excited about their state flag, but Colorado's up there, man. I'm seeing a lot of a lot of houses flying the Colorado state flag. What about South Carolina? I recognize that the little palmetto with the crescent moon. Yeah. All right. All right. Moving on. Uh, let's talk about this. <laughs> let's talk about this. Uh, the long gone summer uh, thing. The the, yes. the McGuire Sosa thing. Um, I I it was so fun to rewatch because I remember hating Mark McGuire because uh, again mm. I was I, for those that don't know I was a big Cubs fan growing up. I was 11 years old when this was going on. This was. Right in my wheelhouse. I was watching every single Cubs game um, even before Sosa blew up. I was watching my parents, it was, it was a tradition in our house. They put the Cubs game on. We'd sit in front of the TV. Dad would sit in his recliner. I'd sit in front of the TV, fall asleep for four innings, wake up, ask my dad, how the hell did the Cubs blow a five run lead? And he's like, we suck, son. And that was that was pretty much what we did. Uh, so I remember hating Mark McGuire. But as I've gotten older, I couldn't remember, did I just hate him because he was on the Cardinals and he beat Sosa out in this? But rewatching the documentary, all the feelings came back. I remember why I hate McGuire. He was just a big meathead. Sosa was the fun guy. Mm -hmm. Sosa did the hops. Sosa did the kissing at the camera. Sosa was larger than life personality. Everyone loved him. Mark McGuire was just like steroids in human form. (laughs) And that's all he could do. And that's what I was reminded from this documentary. That was my big takeaway. I was like, yes, I, I, I should have hated Mark McGuire as much as I did.
1: Mark McGuire came out of, like literally out the gate in this documentary, he says it's not it's not a problem to be called a power hitter. Uh, and I think that that pretty much supplants in your mind who Mark McGuire is. He's a man that is built on power and he's a man that that's built on home runs and he's and he's a man that's built on the resume right like he said that he would write this little note to himself and he would lock it up and then they asked Tony LaRusso. Tony La like I never heard that which means it probably never happened yeah and you know he's these like I've like- never
0: had a real conversation <laughs> with Mark McGuire to be honest <laughs>
1: yeah. <with you> all. <laughs> he's like I didn't know Mark did that <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool um but you look at the two guys right that they're like I'm reading the articles as I'm watching this because I'm like I just want to see what's going on in 1998 I remember watching these games I remember a split of of people, right? It was mm-hmm. it, it was like magic and bird. You have to pick a side. Who are you? And, mm-hmm. and it sort of identifies who you are. It's kind of like a, a Jeff Gordon Dale Earnhardt type situation, mm-hmm. right, if you will, in North Carolina, to put it in North Carolina terms. And uh, the, the decision was made to ride with Sammy Sosa. And the reason that you pointed out is correct, and it's because of the childish, you know, enjoyment that Sammy Sosa had, right? Sammy Sosa looked like a guy that was shocked to be here, happy to be here, mm-hmm. loved the moment. Like you said, he loved watching Center. and Stuart Scott does the top ten highlights. It, it was just so much joy. And then the other side is pressure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <exactly>. <laughs> and it's like it's pressure in a powerful situation. And yes, Mark Maguire gets 70 home runs. Yes, Mark Maguire is in the end the winner. But was he really? He and was I think not that, the winner. <laughs> oh. That's the question.
0: He Mark Maguire needed it too badly. I mean, he was talking about like the, when Sosa passes up with three games left and they're mm-hmm. and it's coming down to the wire. And Sosa has 66 now. Maguire is 65. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he's he's re- recalling that. And he's like, I, I was not going to let Sammy win this. This was like very important to me. I wasn't going to let, it. and every time Sammy's talking about, it, he's just like, yeah, you know, like uh, uh, we were having fun out there. It was great. Like if, if, like when McGuire beats the record, he's happy for him, all that kind of, stuff. Mark yeah. McGuire needed this more than Sammy Sosa, which is ultimately why Mark McGuire beat him. Because if Mark McGuire is not known as the best home run hitter of his generation, what is he known for? He can't do anything else. He can't move. He literally like when he runs, he, he can't, like he just doesn't even move right. Like he he says it over and over and over. I was put on this earth to hit home runs, which is awesome, and he was really really good at it. But like that's always why I like Sammy Sosa more is that Sammy Sosa. I don't know. He could run. He could steal a base. He actually played like a real position right field. He didn't just stand at first base and like, (laughs) I don't know, just go step on first and catch the ball. Like, I don't know. Mark McGuire was, I almost, as I'm hearing myself talk, I almost respect it that he just like, he found his track, he found his niche and he just pushed all the chips into that. (laughs) He's like,
1: that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to hit home
0: runs. I'm going to do literally nothing else but hit home runs.
1: Again, it's not an issue to be a power hitter. That's what he said to the people. And if you kind of look at the context of the documentary, you mentioned the two guys. And the main guy that we left out, you mentioned the joy of Sosa. Mm -hmm. There's another guy that was there. And uh, like you mentioned, I'm growing up at the time. I'm from a baseball family. That's my first love, my first sport. Got my Durham Bulls on, 32nd anniversary. Uh, Shout out to the Durham Bulls. And as you're growing up, there's the kid. And if you're a kid, you want to play and be like the kid, and that's King Griffey Jr., the all-star from 1990 to 1999, the guy mm-hmm. that is in the home run derby with his hat backwards, laughing, having a great time with the best swing that you've ever seen. And uh, it was funny. Like I, as I watched the documentary last night, you know, you're on, we're on Twitter. We, we see all the, the, everyone's like the goat swing, right? Mm-hmm. Like King Griffey Jr. And it's one of those things where I get very frustrated when people don't engage or play or have any say, but then they make these declarations, you know, because that has to frustrate people that actually do these mm-hmm. things. But King Griffey's Jr. King Griffey Junior. swing is so perfect, right? It is so poetic that you can't say, "Wow, that is perfect," right? And I and I don't yeah. get upset. It's like a Steph Curry, like, "Wow, that that's such a beautiful shot." I can't I can't get upset when so, someone says something about it. And King Griffey Junior. is at that type of level of person. He was so affable, so likable. I don't know if they were doing his Q scores, but they have to be off the charts at the time. Everyone loved King Griffey. Everyone still off the charts. Like still that's off the, the thing. He
0: he is Griffey is he? He's got to be one of the most likable. Because, I mean, you're, you, you, the, the, the the comparison you would make is like Jordan, right? We just got done watching the last dance. Jordan was a huge star in the 90s, obviously. Griffey had a signature shoe. He's like one of like four baseball players in history. I don't even know if the number is that, that have had like a, a signature. Yeah. I remember the King Griffey's – the logo of the swing, you know. Yep. Um, yep.
1: The wraparound. So I guess good. that
0: would be the comparison, right? It's like Griffey mm-hmm. in the 90s versus Jordan in the 90s. Who was more likable? But as time has gone gone on, obviously – stories about Jordan being an asshole come out, and then people debate, is he just competitive, is he an asshole, whatever. King Griffey Jr., as more time goes on, like people like him more almost because every time you recall the steroid era, you point to Ken Griffey and you're like, that guy was hitting 56 homers in back-to-back seasons, and he was clean. Is there, is there a uh, more heartbreaking outcome, a more heartbreaking news development? Um, I don't really know how to phrase it. Then if, if we all found out that Ken Griffey was actually on steroids. Like that would that would be the most deflating, wouldn't that be like the most deflating story that could come out in sports? But doping the whole time.
1: Absolutely, but it couldn't. <laughs> it could not come out, Mark. Taney. It so could that, that, that was the whole point. And I remember like being in baseball circles, like as the you know the steroid, like as the the, the stories were coming out, and every single person was like, I have no idea. Rafael Palmero's going up there, and he's like, I have no idea. We're like, all right, you know. all, all right, now. yeah. Uh, and you're just like. The the rumor was, the rumor was that King Griffey was asked, you know, like as if there was like some sort of deep secret meeting, and he's like, "Nah," you know. And then the Conseco book said similar things, and it kind of confirmed the fact that we love King Griffey Jr. But one one of the things I love about King Griffey was that he was the number one pick, right? So he had all Mm -hmm. the pressure in the world, and there's only two people that have been the number one pick and ended up in the Hall of Fame in baseball ever. Really. Yeah, and it's King Griffey Jr. and it's Chipper Jones. And both those wow. guys had all the pressure in the world going into it, right? People knew about them. Mm-hmm. People had seen them play. Like, Chipper was a switch hitter. Everyone's like, oh, my God, this guy is something else. And he's a fielder. He's got all these different, you know, utility, whatever. All, all the hype was there. And those mm-hmm. guys both delivered. And King Griffey Jr. is on a different pedestal. I, don't, I think it was disrespectful. They didn't include him in the race. He was in the race. And yeah, was it's bananas. Fun. Like when he hit a be, home run, it was yeah, even more yeah,
0: yeah, I'll be honest. I forgot that he hit 56 that year. I forgot that he had back-to-back 56 because they overshadowed him. And that's pretty staggering to think back on. Like the, the record 61. I, I think like when someone hits 62 and we don't we don't think he's on steroids, that will be – I still think that will be important. It won't be as important as like when McGuire hit it and everyone lost their minds about it. But I still think like that will matter. I think like when that – if that day ever happens in baseball, which I guess we could talk about that it looks like that's never going to happen. It looks like baseball's done forever. Um, but if that day ever happened again, it would be amazing. And for for Ken Griffey, everyone thinks he's clean. There's no reason to think he was doing steroids. Uh it, it, that's why I think it would just be the most devastating thing ever. He's like the most likable guy. Everyone is if you could if you could stake your reputation on like anything, it's like Ken Griffey did mm-hmm. definitely did not take steroids. Uh, we're all, we're all Rick Riley with Lance Armstrong on this one. Mm-hmm. And if we come to find out that he did, it would be the I can't think of anything that would like be more deflating to my childhood than if we found out King Griffey.
1: Was. Well, my ignorance, but he wasn't is, like you said. It, it, he wasn't. Don't tell me if, if oh, one, yeah, don't yeah. tell me anything about that. And you mentioned baseball. I mean, in 1994, baseball doesn't even have a World Series. That's how little they care. Baseball was, you know, sort of supposedly going down at the time, and then these guys come back. And again, they say it's two guys. They, they're they're talking about McGuire and Sosa. So. I think King Griffey is obviously involved. I think mm-hmm. A Rod coming in a young A Rod. I think a young Derek Jeter coming into the game. Obviously, that that juiced up baseball and got people excited about the sport. But there were also eyeballs there, and there were also—I mean, Kenny Lofton. Like, there's so many great players. There's there. so
0: many great dude. The Braves, the the Braves staff yeah. of the '90s was unbelievable. Kerry Wood, they, they,
1: Kerry, they wood, Kerry yeah. wood, the greatest <laughs> sign I've ever seen. Who needs Viagra when you got Wood? I yeah. mean, that's, this, is, great this is this is
0: this is the new ESPN Sunday Night should be just called like Remember the '90s? Question. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> remember how great it was?
0: The '90s were cool, right? <laughs>
1: You, you know, the, like, the last thing I'll say about King Griffey, about why he's great, and this story is, like, a little somber, but when Payne Stewart when, when Payne Stewart wins the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open, we all remember that beats Phil Mickelson. That was one of my favorite, you know, U.S. Opens. I was obviously in Pinehurst, so I'm a little bit biased, but it was a great moment, and then Payne Stewart has the tragic accident, and King Griffey Jr. was so moved by that, he wanted to go play for his dad. I played for I played for my dad, my brother played for my dad. We, you know we, we played state games, travel tournaments all over the world. I mean, for him to say, "I want to be close to my family because of that moment," that endeared him even more to yeah. fans because it, it was like, it was just like the perfect encapsulation of what you want your sports star to be. and uh, it was so pure and so smooth, and I missed the kid.
0: And and I I think I think you're hitting the nail on the head, Tate. That they should make a documentary about King Griffey. I mean, yeah. Mark, Mark McGuire. What a what a putz that guy is. Like he's just so boring, so uninteresting. Such like a yeah. I will say the one thing about McGuire I loved, and and the documentary messed this up because they subtitle it and they put. Uh, he said, "I don't regret it." I heard it clear as day. He said, "Like he's talking about steroid use." He says, mm-hmm. "I don't regret it," and they put the subtitle up that says, "And I regret it." I had to go back and play it. And I was like, he clearly said, I don't regret
1: it. <laughs> but um, I, like, I like that. Yeah, but they tried to cover it. They tried to cover for him. him. <laughs> the last thing I can say about Mark McGuire to confirm all the points that we've made before about him being what you call a putz. Carl Malone, to take it back to basketball. We'll get back to basketball. Carl Malone is watching the man hit. Be- right, be- right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bandit practice with Carl Malone. Does not sound like someone that we want to revere as a superstar, uh, at least on our show. Um, yeah. So we're, we're gonna keep it with Sosa and Griffey. Meanwhile,
0: Jordan Jordan and Sosa were the guys, you know, yeah. and then Maguire and Malone. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um so uh the the to bring it full circle, I think I think what's what's become fascinating is like first of all, um everyone remember like you you touched on it, 94 strike happens. Sorry, I'm uh, I'm
1: fired up about King Griffey Jr. I apologize to the listeners. I, I think I might start a King Griffey Jr. docuseries You're, on my own.
0: We should. We absolutely should. It should just be the last prance. When the 30 for 30 on Griffey happens, it should just be two hours of him swinging just over and over <laughs> and, 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 shaggy and, and running down fly balls in center field, and making diving catches and that's it. And then it's just like, yeah, no words, yeah. nothing else. It's just a two hour high crowd that.
1: noise, like from people yeah, reacting yeah,
0: to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned the 94 strike, uh, and then these guys save baseball. They get they get credited. Maybe not exactly these two guys, but that era of baseball that like mm-hmm. after '94. Uh, Greg Maddox. I'm sure guys were doping before '94, but like after '94, mm-hmm. when it became widespread and everyone's shoving needles into each other's asses, and that's just the that's just the way things were back then.
1: All I saw in my mind is Jason Giambi and Mark McGwire yeah. with needles out with Jose Canseco. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. So obviously, uh, you know, these guys aren't going to make the Hall of Fame anytime soon, if they ever do. Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, uh, Barry, Bonds Barry Bonds is the other one, which I, I do love Bonds coming in at the end. Like, Bonds, <laughs> Bonds is like Thanos. Like, they just, like, show him at the very end that he's just like... <laughs> like, like, like there's, like, some moral ambiguity with Sosa and, and McGuire. It's like, do we cheer for this guy? Do we not cheer for him? And then they show Bonds, <laughs> and you just re- you just go back to that moment in time where, like you hated him so much. Like every, everybody I know hated bonds, but like respected the hell out of him and could not look away. But like, there was no, there was no sense of like, man, I really want to see this guy succeed.
1: Oh but at yeah! At the same no, time, I, I'm not going
0: to turn the TV off.
1: Yeah. The only thing that I wanted to see was the people in the canoes go after the baseballs, yeah. and I wanted to see Jeff Kent try to fight him and try to stop him from breaking the record. That was the only yeah, hope. Yeah, for people. Yeah. It was like, will Jeff Kent try to fight Barry Bonds and stop him? Well, Bonds. It's, it. it's it was such a weird dichotomy because like I wanted every time Bonds
0: we talked about this a few shows ago. Whatever Bonds was, if I knew he was up to bat, I was running my TV and turning it on, and I wanted to see him smash the hell out of the ball. I wanted to see him hit it at 600 feet. Um. But at the same time, I wanted that guy to have no success ever. I hated him so, (laughs) like he was such a turd, like you know, so unlikable and so like he was every. I don't know. So it was fascinating to have like you had Griffey, who like everyone loved. Sosa, McGuire were kind of like in the middle Mm -hmm. ground. Like if you're a fan of them, you kind of make excuses for him. If you weren't, you're like, eh, maybe I'll look the other way and not really notice that Mark McGuire's neck keeps growing (laughs) every month. And then Bonds (laughs) comes along, and you're like, all right, this is just comical. This is just like I can't cheer for this guy, but at the same time. This is pretty fucking awesome. They're just, just Wait,
2: smashing
1: which, the hell on
0: the ball. <laughs>
1: which it leaves, it, it begs the question like, where are where do we stand? Like, this is what it, me and my yes. dad always talk about. Like, where do we stand on, like, who? Because Roger Maris, in our mind, is still the record holder because Here's, it's not tainted. Everyone saw it. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. It was majestic. It, it has this purity to it. In fact, like, to me, like Griffey hitting 56 back to back could be argued as maybe more impressive than the 61 in one season.
0: I stand here because I it took it took this current uh, cluster going on with MLB right now with Manfred just mm-hmm. submarine the, the the America's greatest pastime um, for me to see it clearly. Tate, here's how I feel. Mm-hmm. I think 61 is the record. I think Maris's record stands. I Agreed. think as as I said, if the moment comes that a guy who we know is not doping breaks the record, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to love it. I think a lot of baseball purists are going to go nuts as though McGuire is doing it. Uh, but I also think all the steroid guys should be in the Hall of Fame. And I think it took this current situation for me to see it that way because I, I think I would have flip-flopped day-to-day given like should should Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds be in the Hall of Fame because they clearly cheated. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't – I mean, you kind of have to punish them somehow. It made a lot of sense for them not to be. But uh, it's become clear to me. Like the argument for me becomes is this a business or is this like the, uh, respecting the sanctity of the game. And for the longest time, like the argument was these guys do not respect the sanctity of the game. Don't take steroids because it just like, it ruins it solely the good, you know, the good game that we all know and love. Um, but you could argue like, as you said, the 94 strike happens. If not for these guys doing steroids and just mashing the shit out of the ball, mm-hmm. does, does it save baseball? Do, do they not like, is their job, was their job not to hit it? Mark McGuire says, I was put on this earth to hit home runs. So it's his job to like preserve the sanctity of baseball and and keep it pure or is his job to be an entertainer and bring in as much money as possible for his franchise, for major league baseball as a whole. I think as this whole thing is played out currently with major league baseball, it's becoming clear that the, the major league baseball, as it stands today, does not care about the game of baseball. They care about the business side of it. They care about the dollars and cents and the numbers. So with that in mind, why, why should Sosa and bonds and McGuire who like their entire existence was we don't care about the baseball either. We care about the numbers. We care about smashing the shit out of the ball, hitting dingers, hitting long balls, making money. That is what matters most. Not like, you know, using the same piece of wood that Babe Ruth used to hit and like, you know, keeping the, the game pure as all these other guys did. They were trying to make money, and that's uh that's where the game stands today. So I say let him in the Hall of Fame. That's where I stand on it. But 61 is still the record.
1: 61 is still the record, and I, I agree with those points. I will say this. Look, I think the MLB, if there was an MLB Hall of Fame, yeah, they're all in the MLB. Po- that, they may have started the MLB Hall of Fame. That might mm-hmm. be the first two guys that are put into There's, the MLB Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know what I mean? But what we're talking about is those guys using the profitability and the business boost to justify the cheating to break a sanctified record, record mm-hmm. that's already there. You know what I mean? They, they're ruined. Like, They should not be in the baseball Hall of Fame. They could be in the new revamped MLB. The MLB like, Hall like, of Fame, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like like – uh, whoever else makes the money, like uh over the years, they're like, yeah, any any sort of superstar that we have, you know, by like Derek Jeter can be in the MLB Hall of Fame and the Baseball sure. Hall of Fame. Sure, I mean, you could be in both.
0: Like, you could put they, LeBron in there for, uh you know, like. When he was going, going to the out. Indians game, yeah, going yeah. to the Indians game, LeBron was us. Put like put W in there for, for grooving the first pitch yeah. after 9 11, like yeah. that alone gets you in the MLB Hall of Fame. Is the like- Derek
1: Jeter toss is in both, and that's the only one yeah. that's in both because it was like a great moment and also a great baseball play. It was like, yeah, yeah. that works out. That's perfect. if you
0: if you advance the business of MLB, uh, you get put in the MLB Hall of Fame. I like yeah. that. That's a great, yeah. that's a great yeah. compromise. Otani oh.
1: just got put into Each yeah. row is in there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Bo Jackson should be in there you know yeah. like he's in the MLB Hall of Fame Deion Sanders 100% in the MLB Hall of Fame yeah, um, yeah I like this idea this is great uh I was ready to come on to, to, to the show and make the argument that baseball is not dead uh, because I think that's where a lot of people went to Is like man the 90s were so much more fun why is baseball mm-hmm. not as fun now I can't even Mike Trout could walk down you know Broadway <laughs> and a lot of people wouldn't even know who he was and that's it, so crazy how Ken Griffey used to be able to not do that and like you know um I I think that's where a lot of people are going. And I was ready to make the case as a guy who covers a sport that gets accused of of dying college basketball. uh, I was ready to make the case. Baseball is not in fact. Thank you for that
1: clarification. Yeah. And
0: then the news broke today that Rob Manfred is the worst commissioner of all time and uh, is running this thing into the ground and baseball might actually be dead. So, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Great timing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Great timing. I, I hope baseball isn't dead. I do have a lot of faith in what you're talking about, though. Nostalgia, there, there's always an uptick in people having interest when they see something that is successful, and people are like, oh, I remember that. Like, Maybe I do want to look and see who's on the Mets, and they look and they're like, oh, yeah, never mind.
2: Yeah, I'm never
1: mind. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but the Yankees, they have real reasons to be excited. Some of the premier team, the Dodgers, obviously have reasons to be excited, but I think the Astros are the teams that I think they killed baseball. Well, like, that that, I, that proves. I my, think steal, stealing sides is way worse than steroids, in my opinion. Like it chasing absolutely records, is. yeah. This like, is my
0: <laughs> point. This is my point that the that the MLB. I can't believe I, I skipped over that when I was making my point earlier. That like the MLB, as it stands today, is clearly all about business. That mm-hmm. if they if, if they wanted to, to protect the sanctity of the game, why would yeah. you not? Well, how do their Astros stuff World Series rings? It makes no goddamn sense. Um. So put put Sosa in the Hall of Fame. Let Sosa come back to Wrigley for God's sakes. Like that is that is embarrassed that that is the ultimate embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Is that Mark is getting put in the Hall of Fame and he's, he's got the crocodile tears as he's given a speech. He's like, you know, he's pretending like those four and a half years were the best in St. Louis, which mm-hmm. like how many, that's, I think that was the only time Mark McGuire has been back to St. Louis. Red
1: Jacket. <laughs> he, he played there. Yeah.
0: But to see all that and then just to, just to have Sosa be never welcome back. Cause he won't admit that he did steroids, which, uh, I do like that they showed the, the congressional testimony where that was one of the funny... I, re, I vividly remember that happening when Sosa forgot how to speak English for those. <laughs> <laughs> he had his lawyer sit by but he's like... Uh, uh, yeah. And he was well, like so yeah. He was so
1: genuine and like, I'm yeah. so sorry. Like, I wish I could talk. <laughs> like, I wish I could explain. They were it.
0: like, Sammy, we have hours of footage of you doing <laughs> interviews. And like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know?
1: yeah, please believe me.
0: Oh, uh, that's I'm so good. Uh, anyway, it was a, it was a fun uh, trip down memory lane. I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, the big takeaway is is Mark McGuire, kind of a putz, Ken Griffey mm-hmm. Jr., um, him hitting 56. We, we, they should not have glossed over that much. They should have talked about that more. 56 home runs. Enough of the baseball talk, Tate. Let's, uh, let's get to it. Let's get to your, your, your love when Tar Heels come on this program. Uh, mm-hmm. he, is, he is a Tar Heel, or is he? I don't know. Is mm-hmm. he a Pittsburgh Panther now? Um, that, that's something I guess we'll have to, we'll have to figure out what we'll to straighten out with him. Uh, his name is Jason Capel. He's an assistant coach at the University of Pittsburgh, and we talked to him for a little while. Here's our interview with him. Quick break to talk about our friends from Raycat earbuds whether you're working from home or working on your fitness you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to Tate not what your your roommates your neighbors uh your your kids your your what the 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 guy on the treadmill? Moses, next to you? Moses yeah, is Moses, listening to something. Yeah, who knows? Moses barking in the background because you're yep. you're eating dinner and he he's waiting for scraps to fall on the <laughs> ground. Uh you you don't want to listen to that. You want to listen to what you're listening to. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, state, But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know it, Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and that they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands. You know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds are their best ones yet with six hours of playtime. That is insane. Six hours. Cross-country flight. You don't even need to charge them. Six mm-hmm. hours of playtime. Seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable. Perfect for the conference calls or binging podcasts like I don't know, ours, maybe? Yeah, for Example. Nice say.
2: yeah,
0: maybe. Uh, unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during video calls. You've heard us talk about the company it was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, Brandy, <laughs> maybe you've heard of a guy by the name of J.R. Smith. Mm. They are all obsessed with Raycons. Pick up a pair and see what the hype is all about. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order. At buyraycon.com slash Tate. Uh, there it is. That's buyraycon.com slash Tate for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon, R A Y C O com slash Tate. All right, joining us now is an assistant coach at Pittsburgh. He is one of the f- few four-year starters in North Carolina history. Also one of, like, what is it, two people that have gotten a triple-double in the storied history of North Carolina basketball. <laughs> his name is Jason Capel. Uh, coach Capel, I want to start here. Uh, your brother is has kind of built a reputation in his coaching career as being a great recruiter. Um, uh, you, you are now an assistant under your brother. My question to you is, what was the recruiting pitch to you to get you to successfully take a job coaching for <laughs> your brother?
3: Well, true story. I was actually uh, on air live. Uh, it was one of the postseason tournaments. I was on ESPN. I was in Texas, North Texas against San Francisco in the championship, uh, of the postseason tournament they were in. And <clears throat> I get a text and it says, yo. And look, my brother and I are best friends. So I know when I get a text, that says, yo, there's something pretty important. Mm-hmm. And look, I knew before everybody else, he was going to pit. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I knew what the text <laughs> meant. Um, and I just tried to put it away because I had to focus on the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, from there, I had to fly to New York uh, to do some things to finish up the season. And so we didn't have a conversation till a couple of days later when I got back in North Carolina and I already knew what it was. Yeah. And so what was his pitch? I need you. So without consulting my wife, without telling my kids, I committed to moving to Pittsburgh. Wow. After having only lived in a house that we had just bought eight months prior.
0: So it took. There was one text message, yo, and That's it just planted, it. it just planted the seed. That's all he said was yo. I yeah, I
3: knew. <laughs> I knew already. Again, I mean, keeping it quiet and being coy when people are asking me, he's going to take the job. Uh, but I knew, and so when I got that text message, I kind of knew where it was going.
0: <laughs> oh my God, that that is that is a hell of a recruiting job. Is it, is it, does yeah. he do that for the players too? Or he just texts. That's
3: powerful, man. <laughs> that powerful.
1: It's just one word, and uh, Coach Capo. I, w- I want to take it back to your playing days. Uh, you know, back to nineteen ninety seven, and uh, and go back. You talk about your brother. Obviously, was at Duke. He spends four years at Duke, and as North Carolina guys ourselves, we know about your brother's big half court heave. Uh, everyone sees that shot every time we get the rivalry going. Uh, but for your your recruitment process. You know, you're playing with Ronald Curry, right, uh, on the high school circuit scene. Uh, did How did you let him know that you were going to go to his rival? Did you say one word, like Carolina, or did you just <laughs> say yo? Uh, I mean, did he know that you were going to go to Carolina? What was that like?
3: If we're being truthful, we both grew up North Carolina fans. It's kind of hard not to. Mm. You grow up in the state of North Carolina.
1: Yep, um,
3: North Carolina was one of his final choices. It was Duke and Carolina. And a true story, listen – When Duke and Carolina were recruiting my brother, I'd be up the street at a friend's house. I'd see Coach Smith's car come by with Coach Gunn, Coach Ford. I'd see Coach K's car come by with Coach Amaker. Man, I would get on my bike and pedal home as fast as I could. And while they're in the living room talking to my brother and my parents, I'm in the backyard trying out in my mind. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) putting up shots. Yeah, I'm 11. You guys are going to see me. It was always going to come down to going to North Carolina playing for my dad. Mm. My dad was a finalist for an ACC job. He didn't get it. Had he got it, I would have gone there with him. So once that didn't happen, he told me to take him out of the equation and would I go to Old Dominion if he wasn't there? You know, we knew the answer to that. There's no disrespect to Old Dominion. Yeah. He just knew how much I wanted to play in the ACC for North Carolina, but specifically for Coach Smith. And unfortunately, uh, I wasn't able to play for Coach Smith, but I played for a guy that was almost exactly like him and Bill Guthridge, who uh, I had a great relationship with um, until his final day. That's something I'm very, very thankful for.
0: From my memory, it's basically like you and Mike Bibby are the two guys that I think of as guys who didn't play for their dads, uh, yeah. who were, were Division One coaches at the time. Uh, but but you seem to say that that, your dad wasn't recruiting you or was he recruiting you? Like, how no, did that he process? was. He was still no, recruiting you. No. He, didn't, he wasn't saying, like, go Carolina.
3: He was definitely recruiting me. I remember waking up one morning and there was a newspaper clipping of when Bryce Drew made the shot and he and his dad. So, yeah, he was actively recruiting <laughs> he, he was trying to nice guilt you. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, he was like, look at this moment. He this just could wrote, be us. Hey.
3: He just wrote, hey.
0: yo, on the on <laughs> <laughs> yo.
3: Listen, when I turned 16, I got a real nice car, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, he's got an advantage over him. everyone else. Yeah, man. yeah exactly.
3: Yeah, yeah. Man. He wanted things that were good for me, um, and I think he knew that, again, he, he took his coach's hat off and put his dad hat on, and uh, he knew I wanted to play in ACC, and it's pretty ironic that my freshman year, we played against Old Dominion and squeaked out a win with a Ed coat of floater.
1: I have to ask you, Jason, um, one of the things about Tobacco Road and the rivalry is that there's a lot of mythology, right? There's a lot of uh, he said, she said, there's a lot of backdoor rumors that go on. And one of those rumors is that Coach K in 1995 decided to have back problems and and to give himself a little bit of a rest, right? And your brother was there during the time. You're watching those games, and you see that happen. And then you come your freshman year at North Carolina, and then there were some rumors. You don't play in the Duke finale because you had a back injury from practice. Mm. And I want you to set the record straight that you were not pulling a Coach K here. You This was this was a real injury. You took a charge, I think, against UNC Charlotte or, or someone like that earlier on in the season that you had irritated your back. But then you missed the Duke finale, and we needed you in that game. Uh, freshman Jason was hitting threes at the time. So can you debunk this rumor? You were hurt, right? Correct.
3: I've never heard that rumor before in my life.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, I think he just made it up.
3: <laughs> and, 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 and you can take the quotations off. Coach K's back was hurt. He okay. Oh, wow. Surgery. Okay. Um, and for me personally, uh, I listen, I was told at 13 years old at Greensboro day school, I would never have a basketball career. because My back was messed up.
2: Oh, wow. all right. Um...
3: I had, I had, I had back surgery at 19 years old at North Carolina. I remember if that. You remember, yeah. you remember, like, I would miss games during the year. I would get shots mm. on a Wednesday so I could play on a Saturday. Mm. Um, so, look, I played a lot longer. I achieved a lot. Yeah. Um, didn't, you know, but the cards were stacked against me. So, anybody that says I wasn't hurt, look, you had to pry me off the court.
1: Well, it it was one of those things, Jason. Where you, there there was just too many Duke. There was there was a closeness to Duke. You know, there, there was a, there was a mistrust early on. We didn't know it was your. I only missed
3: year. one game. Uh, you I only missed, missed one did. game,
1: and you came back for the AC. Tour. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did.
3: Yeah. I missed. I missed in the game. I missed at Duke. It wasn't because of my back. I had mono. Oh, <laughs> wow! I had mononucleosis. How I got it? Hey, man, your guess is as good as mine. But it wasn't because of the back. Okay, so mm, there you go. Yeah. They, they one of the few times river. that one of the few times that I didn't play for anything other than my back because I was <laughs> always the injury. I yeah. cu- I couldn't help
0: but notice that you were defending Coach K there for a second. Does does the fact that your brother played at Duke? Um, because I'm thinking about my Tate and I both have older brothers, and if if my brother if we were good enough to be as good as you guys were, and my brother played at my rival, it would make me hate my rival even more. Um. <laughs> But it almost feels like you guys, like, like you don't want to take shots at Duke because, like, you have an affinity for your brother. And, like, you, you know, is, is that a fair – where do you stand on the rivalry given that your brother's on the other side and you don't want to necessarily hate him, obviously?
3: Well, listen, I was a Duke fan for four years. Um, and there was a period I wasn't. Uh, there are some Duke players that I categorically do not like. But Coach K has done a lot for me, man. Coach K has done a lot for me, done a lot for my family. Um, when I was working at television, he did a lot for my career to allow me to progress and, and, and really had my back. Um, so you would never hear me say anything negative about about Coach K because he's a, he's a good man who did a lot for my brother, not just as a player, but, you know, after Oklahoma, bringing him back. Um, and for me personally, for my dad, um, he did a lot for us. He did a lot for the Capel family, and um, I'm very grateful, very thankful. And Mm -hmm. so no, no problems with Coach K. That's not
0: the that's not the answer we want to hear, Jason. We want to hear (laughs) I know it's not.
3: I know it's not. And you know what? That's not the answer Carolina fans want to hear. No, it's
0: good. That's the the mature, that's the mature answer. I think what about what about when Tupac wore your brother's jersey? Were were you uh was there any jealousy there or is that just cool? Was is there any part of you that's like
3: hey man, big time jealousy personally? Yeah, okay. I was the Tupac fan. There's a picture of Tupac on my wall behind me somewhere. All right. So the fact that he wore the Duke number five, I have to believe if Pac would have lived Mm -hmm. at some point, he'd have had the Carolina 25. on. Okay. All right. I have to believe that. All
1: right. All right. I have to to believe that as well. And I I have to ask you, Jason, at your sophomore year, you win uh, for, the most inspirational player uh, at, the, at the UNC Sports Banquet uh, at the end of the year. And that is given to you because you take the most charges on the team and you lead the team in free throw percentage. Did Coach K reach out to you at that point and say, you're really, really let me down, Jason, you should be a Duke. Why are you not a Duke?
3: Well, Coach K recruited me. And I think the biggest reason for that award was not only taking charges, but she said sophomore year. Look, I had to learn to walk again after mm-hmm. March. You know, after I had surgery. If you remember we lost to Weber State in the first round. You know, uh, my freshman year, and I had surgery three days later, um, and I didn't play much in the NCAA tournament. If, if maybe one possession. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that was coming back from injury. I had a good year, my sophomore year. Statistically, we won. You know, and got to the Final Four. Yeah. So I think those are the reasons. But doing the dirty work, taking charges, whatever it took to win. Uh, like I tell the players I coach now, the wings, the guys that kind of do everything. What's your job? Everything. Mm-hmm. My job was everything.
1: I forgot to mention that you also led the team in three-point percentage. So that's another ding for Duke. Wow. I mean, that, that is just ridiculous.
3: Sure. <laughs> well, hey, 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 but listen, the time they had Batty they had mm-hmm. – Shoot! Look that that team my freshman year was one of the best college teams ever. They just didn't win the championship. Mm-hmm. With Will Avery and Elton Brand and Trajan, oh man, it was it was ridiculous. Corey McGeddy coming off the bench, you know, Battier, Burgess. I mean, they, they had dudes, man. They had so yep. many dudes. It was ridiculous.
0: You mentioned being on the two thousand final four team. Uh, you were also I, I I shudder to bring it up, but you were also on one of the worst North Carolina teams ever. Um, so I what which experience the, the the reason I mention it is that you you experienced the ultimate high well didn't quite win the national championship made to the final four you experienced the the low of low as a player being on a, a really bad team uh which, which which experience do you draw on more as a coach do you find yourself drawing on more where you're telling guys like hey I've I've been here like this is how you make a final four or you're like hey I've been on some bad teams this is things we did don't do this do this instead. Yeah.
3: Well, both, well, both. You know, I I think my brother and I both are in a unique situation that, look, he played for a national championship. I played in a final four. Talk about the year Coach K was out. They weren't very good. You draw on both to show guys and tell guys with real examples, real life uh, experiences that they're going to be tough times. You got to work your way through them. And collectively, if you work together and understand you need each other, you can accomplish so much. So. Uh, I had two great years at North Carolina. Again, I talk about um, experiencing something. I wanted to play for Coach Smith, play for Coach Gut, Coach Ford. When those guys retired, things were different, and that's just the way things go. But I value all my experiences. I learned a lot. I made some lifelong friends. Met my wife. Uh, so things things worked out. Things worked out for me.
0: Being a head coach now, and now you're an assistant, uh, obviously, for your brother. So uh, in, in between, you did a lot of broadcasting. You were great at that. We enjoyed that. I'm always fascinated by guys that dabble in broadcasting and then get into coaching. At, at what point are you like, man, I, maybe I want to try head coaching again? At what point are you like, yeah. maybe I should get back into broadcasting? I was great at that. You know, like, how how do guys, because this happens a lot in coaching, where some guys get the mm. broadcasting itch, and then they just stick as broadcasters forever, and they never really revisit it. How do you make those decisions?
3: Well, for me, look, I went to school and I majored in communications with the mindset that I would go into uh, television. I told Dick Vitale at the McDonald's All-American game that I was going to work with him one day. Um, So that was my goal. I played, played in Japan, played in the D League, played in Italy, traveled the world. Career was cut short because of my back. And uh, I went right into television. I worked for Raycom Sports. Uh, Jimmy Rayburn, Rob Reichle, you know, did me a huge favor by giving a guy with no experience an opportunity. In the second year of doing television, look, I had never not been on a team before, <laughs> and so I missed being a part of a team. And at the time, uh, my dad was with the Charlotte Bobcats. Buzz Peterson worked there, and I knew Buzz was going to get the job at that, and so we just—I kind of happened to be around every day <laughs> and made sure Buzz saw me. So. At that point, it was easy. Um, This one was difficult, if I'm being honest. Uh, You know, if it wasn't my brother, I'd have probably saved in television. I enjoyed TV, Uh, you know, we we were comfortable in in Charlotte, but it's my brother, he said he needed me. It's something I know I'm good at and I can help him build something. And I, you know, it feels like my dad not being here, but he Mm -hmm. still has a hand in everything that happened, you know, for us to be together. And to try to build this program back up, his dream was for us to work together.
0: Does the brother relationship ever interfere with the coaching relationship? Like, does he? Does, do you ever got do you guys ever butt heads? And he's like trying to give you a wedgie in the film room, like, nah. you guys are, like you guys are kids again or something like that.
3: Nah, man. Look, he's the boss. I'm a soldier. Okay. A, that I mean, that's 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 the bottom line. But it's cool to work with somebody like we both know. You know the inside jokes of you know, things we said when we were kids. Somebody can say one thing, one word, and we look at each other because it triggers something in our minds. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like when we were kids. So that's very cool. Very cool.
1: And you know, Tyson and I talk about this a lot with the ACC, and we mentioned Coach K and Coach Williams and that old guard of of coaches, right? The ACC. But you, having your your dad and obviously being around those guys, and you and your brother, you know, go to Duke and Carolina, you gotta have the secret. You have the ACC secret, but and you're at Pittsburgh. Do do, do you feel like there is some uh, – some people are aware of the fact. Like, is Coach K intimidated by the fact that you and your brother are on the recruiting trail No, now? Yeah.
3: <laughs> Coach K's not intimidated no. by any of it. Coach Williams, like, those are made guys. They're not intimidated. Um, but there's a level of respect, obviously. Look, I was a ball boy at Wake Forest back in the Muggsy Bowl days where my brother – where my dad was an assistant there. I grew up in the ACC, you know, in, 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 in school during the ACC tournament. You're not doing schoolwork. They roll in the carts with the big TV sitting on top, it's and you the watch the basketball. It's the best. Um, so you know, I know the league. We know the league, and uh, I think we're going to have some success in it. Uh,
0: p- part of taking over Pitt is you guys have just completely revamped uh, the 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 brand of Pitt, the culture of Pitt basketball. Um, before before the Capels arrived at Pittsburgh, the the run of coaches was Ben Howland, Jamie Dixon, and Kevin Stallings, which stylistically, which like uh, to, to an outsider looking in is a pretty boring stretch of coaches, if we're being honest. And one of the things that stood out to me is immediately just like the social media presence. But a lot of the things you guys are doing does feel like a. it almost might quite, my, my, I'll just jump to the question. Is this a conscious decision from you guys to like look at the brand of pit basketball and be like, this is, this is boring. We have to make this cool. Um, Or does it just kind of naturally happen?
3: Well, I don't think boring's the word. Um, but we wanted to make it our own. Yeah. I mean, we're we're just being who we are.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um and, and 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 in this day and age, man, and recruiting kids, like you have to adapt. Like their world is social media. Their world is, you know, pockets of a minute, two minutes of information. Um, with some graphics and sneakers and things like that that they're into. Um, so you have to be conscious to continue to evolve and understand what your audience is. And for us recruiting. Our audience are 18 to 22 year old kids, and it starts to obviously younger than that. But you have to adapt to who they are. And for us, we just want to be who we are. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh's a city with pride that loves sports, that loves pit basketball. It's the city of champions. It deserves a winner. It's our job to make it a winner again, and we're looking forward to that.
1: We want to ask about adapting, Coach, because, you know, you've put it out to the world, right? You know, you, you said any of the players that come to pit, you're welcome to voice your opinion. We're, we're obviously living in the world we're living in now. And you, you said you're welcome to speak your mind. You obviously have a black head coach, you know, there at a proud program in the ACC. That, it, that is a different thing than we've seen, you know, in some other circles, of the ACC and some other pockets. And then we see someone like Mikey Williams come out and say, you know, I would I would consider an HBCU. And we're talking about adapting to the current climate of players. How do you do that? Do you kind of leave that up to the player specifically? What is that role for you guys in that sense?
3: Well, again, the the thing we did currently with all this going on in the world, uh, we talked to our players immediately. And we allowed them to talk. We listened. And we allowed them to get their feelings out, their emotions out, uh, you know, whatever it may be. The thing we do is, look, if, if you feel something and you want to speak about it, speak about it. Like, these yeah. are young men. Mm-hmm. These would be the young men and women that change the world for all of us. And they're not afraid. And they have things to say. We want them to say them. We want them to continue to do their research and learn about the things they're talking about and the things they feel. But if you feel it, say it. If you don't, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. But if it's something you feel strongly in your heart and you have a conviction for it, then by all means, we want them to be uh, as, as as vocal as possible because that's how you bring about change.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Being quiet is not being quiet. Being on the sidelines is not going to bring about change.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: We need people to speak up, speak out. We need more leaders that are fearless. And then look this this isn't just going to end next week. Like this is something that we as a nation have to continue to work at. And again, I I truly believe that the young people, uh, white kids, black kids, everything in between, these are the people that are going to change the world. Mm -hmm. And it's just exciting to see the new leaders having a voice, finding their voice, and using their voice. I think it's very powerful.
0: From what I'm seeing, a lot of people are discussing black coaches in college basketball. Uh, I saw an article not too long ago, 80% of the major conference players are black and like 14% of the head coaches are black. This is obviously a problem. And and with that, more so in your role, I'm curious your thoughts on this, this this idea that the typical coaching staff around the country will have typically like one black guy as an assistant coach and he's the recruiter. What are your thoughts on that? Like that, that stereotype in and of itself?
3: Well, I think that's all sports. Mm-hmm. You look at football, how many offensive coordinators, you know, maybe it's a defensive coordinator, but not many offensive coordinators. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's wrong. I think it's wrong that, you know, you look at black coaches as simply recruiters. Um, you look at black coaches as just the guys that can go out and accumulate the talent and make everyone comfortable. Uh, you know, make mom and dad comfortable, make the kid comfortable. I think mm-hmm. that's categorically wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are a lot of talented coaches. Um, I think there are a lot of talented black coaches. I think you look at some of the HBCUs and some of the best black coaches and some of the best coaches in the country that just don't get the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. Now, I, I think when you talk about that, you need to look at having some more leadership in these athletic departments who are people of color. You know, that it, it, look, it starts from the top down. Look at athletic directors, people that have titles that can go out, provosts, uh, chancellors that can make these decisions. So for me, look, I'm a coach. I've been a head coach. Uh, I've been an assistant coach. My job is to help these young men get better, graduate, and chase their dreams. Mm-hmm. And in the process, showing them that they have to continue to mature to become men, men that are going to be head of households one day. Mm-hmm. And so being a coach is much more than just exos. and O's, much more than recruiting. You're trying to build young men into uh, who their parents sent them off to become. Mm-hmm. And so I think more black coaches should get opportunity. And when they get those opportunities, I think they should be given the same uh, leeway, if you will, you know, not just two years. It doesn't work out. They're fired. You know, yeah. not just to fill some sort of quota, give them an opportunity. Yeah.
2: Your, your father,
0: your, your father started HBCU, or is it a- at HBCU. Yeah. Yeah. He he yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Oh, so he's at Federal State before. Yeah. Um, that's what I, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Federal State, then he went to A&T, Mm-hmm. And then uh he's one of the few, the, the very handful of uh of black coaches who have uh, been at an HBCU and mm-hmm. been able to move to an Old Dominion. Um, and so I think, I mean, we've seen some guys get those opportunities. I think we'll see more because there are really good coaches who win every year, mm-hmm. who graduate players, who do things the right way that more than deserve an a, a legit opportunity.
2: Right. Not right, just
3: yeah. here, here, look, we did it, we tried it two years, no, you're gone. No, mm-hmm. a legit opportunity to run a program and to be the face of a program at some of these uh, excellent universities. Mm-hmm.
1: And we saw it this year, right, in college basketball. Anthony Grant at Dayton, uh, someone that at Alabama maybe didn't get that full leeway or, or runway or whatever you want to say. Uh, and now he's at Dayton, and he's able to get that program back to, to somewhere it hasn't been since the 1960s. And he's considered one of the best coaches in college basketball. And at one time, people were like, I don't know about Anthony Grant, or at least that was the general consensus. So having those type of stories well to build off of, I, I think, is, there, is a real you know, good peg in, into what we can build in the future with college coaches, I hope at least. Absolutely. Being the Capels, being the Capel brothers, there are the Hurley brothers, there are the Zellers, there—they're all type of, of brothers in, in the game of basketball and, and families that are involved in the game of basketball. Of course, um, is, is there any sort of rivalry that you have with another group of brothers uh, w- within the basketball <laughs> world um, that that you like? Is it the Hurleys? Is there someone
0: <laughs> the Millers, Sean, nope. Sean and, nope. and Archie, no, the Millers?
1: Yeah.
3: Well, I look. I think when you look at duos. You know, mm-hmm. two, I mean, you know, the Currys are the only ones that are probably above us. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at brothers. Um, when you look at God, the, the most, it's, if we're talking about stats, mm-hmm. all right, you have one that played the national championship who's won an ACC championship. You have one that played in the final four that's won an ACC championship. I'm not sure many of those guys can say that. And then when you go down the stats, Bobby had great stats. Dan, you know, Dan had pretty good stats and, you know, he went through, you know, the things that he went through. Uh, but for my brother and I to both, you know, through good and bad times, at, you know, you look at powers like Duke and Carolina to both come out how we did and be able to produce how we did, I think it speaks volumes. Mm.
1: I have to ask this question, Jason. Do you take uh, responsibility for Davidson being at the forefront? Because you the two schools that North that the world showed, uh, that North Carolina introduced to the world, Weber State, and then, you know, however many years later, they get Dame Lillard. And then, and then Davidson, you guys lose to Davidson, and then Stephen Curry comes later. So do you take credit for those two schools being on a national? Because I think you should.
3: Hey, Weber State for sure.
1: Okay. Weber yeah. State for
3: sure. Harold Arsenal and Gil, the point guard, my goodness. Yeah, they were yeah. nasty. Uh, they were good. And mm-hmm. I think that showed that anybody could be beat. You know, the thing that I, I continue to think about, I didn't play in that game. Yep. You know, oh, would I have made the difference? I don't know. Arsenal had thirty-five. Maybe not. <laughs> probably not. Uh, but I like to have had that opportunity. And Davidson, look, we lost to Hampton that year too, who was a good Hampton team, mm-hmm. but everybody got a crack at us my senior year. Let's be honest. What does Davidson? <laughs> you know. uh uh you know, it was Ohio, I mean, different teams. We 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 squeaked by Binghamton. Um it was a down year for reasons. Much greater than just what was happening on the basketball court. Let
1: me yeah. tell you, much, much greater. Yep, much greater.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure, Coach. We
0: appreciate you uh, making some time for us. Being candid, open. Uh, this was fun. We uh, we wish you luck in this season. Assuming the season, I, I think we're going to have a season. I'm I'm I'm, I'm thinking the
3: season's going to happen. So uh, hope so. We
0: wish you luck. We we appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you, guys. Everybody, stay safe. Thanks so much. All right. Yeah. Yes. Take, so take care. You too. Too. All right.
0: All right, quickly Tay, before we go uh we have to give our n b a update we have to we have to go over this, which it, it changes so often it might be deemed irrelevant by the time uh excuse me, this actually runs um <laughs> here's here's where we stand now on Friday, I believe it was friday night Kyrie yep, friday irving night. Kyrie mm-hmm. Irving, who is the vice president of the NBA PA, uh leads this call with, with what they say eighty I saw a lot of numbers being thrown out over a hundred mm-hmm. over two hundred. Mm-hmm. Some said up to 7,000. <laughs>
1: no. Ed Davis said only 10 people spoke. So, yeah. however yeah, yeah. many people were on the call, only 10 people talked.
0: Yeah. Who, who knows? Like, who was giving the number out? And they were like, you know, they should have done that. They should have, you know, how the NBA makes up for the, the, the cut in pay and, and, you know, trying to come up with revenue streams. Mm-hmm. They should have made this a pay per view call. It's like, mm-hmm. everyone should, if you pay five bucks, you can listen in on the call. They would have made a ton of money.
1: Um, they would have made a ton of money, and Kyrie yeah. <laughs> probably would have made a lot of enemies. Maybe, yeah, uh, yeah. So that would, have, that would have been a lot of fun. So
0: Kyrie leads this. Uh, leads the phone call. Um, he is he is basically leaning towards not playing. Uh, for good reason. I think. Uh, every every viewpoint is valid. I, I a lot of people are, uh making fun of Kyrie because he's an easy target. He's a flat earther, or, or whether he is or not, or he's just trolling. Who the hell knows? But he's on record as saying the earth might be flat. Uh, so he. He's, kinda, he's done himself no favors in the past uh, uh, with some of the bizarre stuff he says. So when it comes out that Kyrie Irving is leading the charge for mm. trying to make this decision, uh, understandably a lot of people are like, is this the guy we want to be in this driver's seat? Um, but be that as it may, his viewpoint is still valid. He, thinks that he, he seems to be of the opinion that uh, it would be a wasted opportunity that we're in the middle of this Black Lives Matter movement uh, America, the, the 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 black community seems to have America's attention, and to now start playing NBA games, it would divert attention away from the cause that matters most. Uh, that is ultimately where Kyrie is coming from. He he found very Kyrie ways to say to make that point, like mm-hmm. saying something smells fishy, but not exactly. Although that was was that wasn't a direct quote, right? Like that was like what someone said over the side. I guess I shouldn't kill them too much for that, but like you're reading the quotes and you're like, mm-hmm. that doesn't quite makes sense to me, but I get like the overall point. I'm I'm with him. Um so that's where he stands. Meanwhile, LeBron is seeing all the reports say LeBron uh unsurprisingly wouldn't mind having a chance to win a title as he is in his twilight years of his career. So um Yeah, who the hell knows, Tate?
1: (laughs) Woj. Woj knows. And Woj wrote a whole report on this. And he said, you know, basically, we have what you just said. You laid the stage for it. It's Kyrie Irving versus LeBron James, but Mm -hmm. not really because Kyrie Irving is trying to. At one point, they said that Kyrie had talked to the the NBA establishment. They said that he was on terms. He understands. They should like he understands the tournament and understands why they have to do it. Yada yada yada. But then he was having separate phone calls with other people, saying you know he was outraged. So there was some back and forth. So then I think this call was like questions and concerns and the flat earth thing that you brought up the reason that Kyrie has this is because he didn't really address anything and then he came out and he said I just like to ask questions which I think is (laughs) like that's one of those that's one of those things where you can't just say that and leave that open-ended but also if you were one of those people that says I'd like to ask questions you do want to be that person to leave right right um and now I think what Kyrie is doing is actually uh he is calling LeBron's bluff right Mm-hmm. He is making LeBron James the man that, you know, more than a vote um, initiative that's happening. He is against the idea that he will shut up and dribble. And Kyrie Irving says, well, LeBron, if you play in this tournament in Orlando, you are shutting up and dribbling.
0: You're part of the problem. Yeah,
1: you are doing that. So your your message would be you would be a hypocrite. And I think that is unfortunately what is there is like a, a, a layer of that that is involved in this that is bringing up. You know some of these other old situations and I think what LeBron I feel bad for LeBron right you're in a bad position right you have to make this is a, this is a business decision that is now becoming a moral decision
0: right because you, you, like you that's said, a really it, tough spot it, it, if you if you want to play and you, you push the charge to play, you might look like you're you're, you don't actually care about the causes you pretend you're you know you're you're purporting yourself to care about if you don't play uh we are on the heels of michael jordan having a 10-part documentary made almost exclusively (laughs) to tell the world i'm better than lebron james and i'm a i'm a greater competitor than he is uh so if you don't play you run the risk of that criticism of like uh, are 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 you scared of jordan is this is this an out is this a a convenient out for you that you're (laughs) which is i guess all that's a stupid criticism but um yeah, it is. Uh, it is fascinating. And, and the, the other part with the Kyrie thing is like, again, like I think his overall point makes a lot of sense. He just exactly the way he goes about it is to just leaves people with more questions than answers. But especially when like Dwight Howard seems to be like his most vocal ally, is you have like these two guys that that have. Again, like you, you, which also
1: makes that strange too that Dwight is on LeBron's team. And exactly. So, so, if he's on LeBron's team and he's but, saying that he doesn't want to play, then that team is implicated because they had they're not a united front there. Yeah. Cause,
0: guy. cause Kyrie is should be noted is not playing in this, mm-hmm. whether it comes back or not. Kyrie is out and is not playing, uh, in this thing. So, it's kind of uh, people find that strange that he's there. Uh, but then the the other question, tape becomes like, I guess, uh, maybe you don't need an answer to this right now, but I guess the question becomes like, what exactly? Is Kyrie, does Kyrie want? Um, what, what will get him back on the court? What is it that, like, the people that are saying, we're not going to, to play basketball until, like, the, the changes are made? I mean, like, all that is great, but then what does that look like? Is, is, is Kyrie Irving, is this meeting never going to be on the bat? Like, if this if this fight, say, like, first of all, racism, I mean, I, I would love to be proven wrong. I don't think racism is ever going to be fully solved. As a I mean, we could work towards changing systemic things in our our society obviously and 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 pull it back towards a a more acceptable level um but i don't think it's ever like you know there's no there's no magic pills like is is Kyrie irving saying i'm i'm prepared i think he did say that i'm prepared to give it all up for uh is that the implication here um i I guess that that part is slightly frustrating because he he, what what does what is it that you exactly want like if he came out and he said we want this this and this we want these police departments defunded we want more resources allocated here we want this and the like, that makes a lot of sense. And then you can kind of, like, hold if, – if we're treating this as, like, a player lockout, you can then, like – you state your demands, then the NBA or whoever the powers that be, you know, they they satisfy those demands, and then now the players are back. But uh, I think that that kind of is a little bit frustrating for people that he's not exactly clear on what they want. Um, but I don't think you necessarily have to be. I think, like, there's plenty of time. They're, I think they're just trying to have a dialogue, suss it all out. Um, but ultimately, I do think – it would probably be better coming from someone other than Kyrie, but there does seem to be a lot of uh, a lot of players that are taking that side. So I don't know. This is a uh, the, the important point here, Tate, is that we are no closer to knowing <laughs> exactly. definitively whether they're exactly. going to play or not. <laughs> exactly,
1: and, and it seems like to me, Mark Titus, you would have had a dialogue before you announced to the world that you're going to have this tournament, and and yeah. it's already an official thing. And I think that's that to me says more about the NBA uh, on the front office side and less about the players. And I don't blame. Any player for having reservations. I also don't have don't blame players like Pat Beverly speaking the truth, which you and I know what the truth is. If LeBron James wants to play, he's the most valuable figure that they have in the NBA. They're gonna play. And okay, Pat so Beverly how did, said that?
0: How do you take this? How do you take his tweet? He said his his tweet was for those who missed it. Pat Beverly tweeted: Hoopers, say what y'all want. If King James said he hooping, we all hooping. Not yep. personal, only business. Hashtag Stay Woke. A hundred percent. Did you take this as I see, I see this as two different. Statements being made by Patrick Beverly, and I, I'm curious how your, your thoughts are. Uh, is he saying that we're all falling in line behind King James because he is the no. face of this league? I'm glad you agree with me because I read this as Pat Beverly is like kind of throwing shade at LeBron
1: saying, like who kind the hell thank, you. Okay, thank <laughs> you
0: thank you because everyone that i've seen everyone i've talked to about this thinks that pat beverly is well, like this, they this, this, they this. they don't
1: understand i i tried to say this the other day the difference in generations and what people don't understand is like the the generation above you and i they are literal they are direct they yes. say what they think yes. they look you in the eyes when they you yes. ask them a question they say i want a water when you ask kyrie irving <laughs> or someone of my generation if we want a water like i don't know maybe what
0: is water? Is you, you, water you, real? Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> think I even need
1: water. And, and you have to read the message. You have to read the message of this generation, right? So that they are not reading the room. And Pat Beverly is. I think he he can play both sides of that. Like he can be yeah. direct, but he also can play the passive aggressive game. And I, that was the most passive aggressive thing I've ever read. He basically said LeBron's in with the league. The yeah, the league and LeBron have already decided we're playing, so you're playing, so you might as well get ready because we're playing. Dude.
0: Right. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly how I read it too. I had way too many people. I had one guy made the point to me that the hashtag stay woke was Pat Beverly calling on, uh, you, you know, all, all of the all of the players to stay in the woke, stay in the lane, of, keep their eye on the Black Lives Matter movement, or which would I guess be the woke movement. Um, no. someone tried to explain like that's what they thought to stay, woke. and I was like, no, he's saying stay woke as though. He's like everyone can talk all you want. You can you could Austin Rivers can offer his thoughts, which is a valid viewpoint that he said uh you know we should maybe we should play and use our platform to further our message. Also maybe it won't part be a distraction. The
1: very yeah. very league message. Yes.
0: That's a great 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 point. I don't know. Uh Kyrie has a different point. Uh Pat Beverly is saying all of that is great. You can all argue amongst yourselves, but at the end of the day there's one man that makes that decision and his name is LeBron James. And mm-hmm. if he wants to play, we're
1: playing. And that's that's the, the state of The dissenting opinion may be Kyrie Irving. And honestly, I think the reason that Kyrie had to be the voice is because he he is speaking to LeBron James via the Players Association. He's talking to Chris Paul. Chris Paul is talking to LeBron James and Adam Silver. You know what I mean? Those guys are all in conjunction with each other. And that is what this is. I think that's why another player – that's why I think Kyrie had to do it. And I think that's probably why he's frustrated because he's like, y'all didn't want to say anything, so I'm the one that's having to say something. Because yeah. I'm the only one that can stand up to him, like I already did before, when I said I wanted to trade out of Cleveland.
0: But so far, Tate, we're only talking uh, about the the social issues yes. at play here, which, again, that's one of what ten thousand that they have to sort out <laughs> between yes. now and July thirtieth. Uh, Woj tweeted on Wednesday that the players could sit out and face no consequences. This was uh, so if the players decide to take the uh, the, the the social stance, what what they feel is their moral obligation to not be a distraction. Um, if that is their point of view, he he said last what was reported last Wednesday that the players could do so and face no consequences. They would still get paid whatever it, they would get paid if they went, there would be no punishment. Now reports are coming out that if they don't go, they will have their pay docked. they uh they need a med. the only reason to not go now is a medical excuse. You have to feel threatened by the covid situation or some there there has to be so you have to get a doctor's note basically is what what we seem to believe meanwhile danny green i love this i wanted to make this point i want to make sure i make this point because i i I love
1: danny green i connected the dots here nba champion
0: danny green is the lakers pa uh rep so he he did an interview with usa today obviously the lakers are one of the few teams that have a shot at winning the title so all eyes are on la are they going to want to play or not he was asked about it He said uh, the big hang-up right now for guys, the the guys that he's talking to, the biggest concern is the hotel situation, namely who is allowed in and out. Like, why? I think think the NBA initially said families are allowed. The guys who are single are like, now hang on a second. I have needs too. I I don't necessarily need to play with my kids and take my wife to dinner, but I do have needs of a different kind. And uh, why can't I have people come in and visit me? Um, So he said that his biggest concern seems to be where they draw that line. This this interview happened on Saturday, Tate. On Monday, the day we were recording this, news broke that Danny Green is engaged to be married. I ask you, are the dots connected? Is Danny Green getting feedback that wives and fiancés are the only ones allowed? So he's like, shit, I got to propose so I can... <laughs> So I can get my girlfriend in there. Is that what happened? Do you think?
1: 100%. And I saw that he he said, I don't know why it's taken this long. It's been five beautiful years together. I don't know what it hit me, but this Sunday when I was talking to LeBron and Adam Silver <laughs> yeah. and they told me that I they had to be, they told Pianti. me girlfriends aren't allowed. I was like, yeah, all right, it well. had to be official. I said to myself, uh, every kiss begins with K. So I got to go <laughs> and figure this out.
0: Good on um, you, Danny Green. Yeah, I was, I was, I was connecting the dots so on that one.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great, great like that makes a lot of sense too. And honestly, that almost confirms like if Pat Beverly's passive aggressive yeah. tweet didn't confirm it, Danny Green getting engaged says yes, we will have basketball. Will
0: I'm gonna, i to ask you the the question I asked Broussard where he said that it was 95 percent chance um, <laughs> that games start play that that the play starts, uh, and then he was unsure about whether uh, a champion is crowned. How do you see it? How, in your I have expert opinion. You're very sourced, very expert. What What are I, your two answers to that?
1: My My answer has always been, uh, with this whole thing, 0% chance. I never thought this tournament was going to happen. I still do not think it's going to happen. I, I think if it does happen, it will be the end of the NBA. And I think uh, then we need to start a new league, honestly.
0: It's the end of the NBA. It's the end of the MLB. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah.
1: Honestly, like, I think this is great for football. Football, <laughs> football. Sit back. Like, we, we didn't have to. We don't have to worry about arena football league anymore. Oh, we it, worry about the It is. Style.
0: It is. It is staggering. Like, if Silver botches this, if the NBA botches this, and and the the tide turns on Silver, you and I, we don't hate Silver, but like, I think I like Silver. Yeah. Yeah, you like Silver, all right. I'm like neutral on him. I I just don't. Uh, I don't, I think I think like the one thing he did when he took over was he banned Donald Sterling, and he got on everyone's good. He did, he just like
1: made the most obvious. That's why I like him because he's like, he made (laughs) the smart move. He's like, Yeah, get this guy out of here.
0: He does the most obvious thing ever, and then everyone's like, Yes, thank you, Adam, you're the greatest. (laughs) And then, like, all he does, he does, he taps in for he does tap in putts. That's all he he seems to do. Mm -hmm. And this was like the big swing. This tournament was bringing the NBA back was a big swing. And if he swings and misses, um, I don't know, it'll be interesting, but. The bar has been set so low that with the, with the commissioners, I, I just find that fascinating as the dust is settling. I think tonight on ESPN, they're doing a, uh, a commissioner round table where they're talking about the return to, to sports and basically every commissioner, I don't, I don't know what the WNBA situation is, but they're having the, they're the MLS commissioner, the WNBA commissioner, and then the four major league the, the commissioners of the four major sports are all on this little round table. Uh, Don Garber is hated by MLS fans. I will speak on behalf as a yeah, former MLS I mean, Gary
1: team right? Bet- Gary Bedman Gary is yeah, it's the most hated. Yeah.
0: Absolutely hated. Roger Goodell is absolutely hated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, no, it was Rob like... Manfred. <laughs> what a gig, man. Just I, liked, like...
1: I like David Cern and I like Bud Selig. And I don't know if I yeah. was just naive and I didn't know as much as I, as yeah. I know now. But um, I, I feel like being a commissioner is – Basically, to be the face of someone. Yeah, are you who supposed ha- to just be hated? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think. I think for
0: me, with Manfred, though, like Manfred does not like baseball. I think that's clear. Like, I, th- I don't think Manfred's watched a full baseball game in his entire tenure. Uh So, say what you want about Roger Goodell, the man loves football. Like the way he talks about football, he's got a reverence. He just gets like so excited about football. I feel like Adam Silver is the same way with basketball. Like he genuinely loves the sport of basketball. So Manfred, I don't know Bedman. I don't. I don't pay enough attention to hockey. But I know, man, that, that's one of my favorite traditions. I always watch the Stanley Cup. And Bettman comes out with the Stanley Cup and the whole place is <laughs> booing like crazy.
1: I don't know what Bettman does to get people riled up, but I, I do remember when I worked with Jay and Dan and they're both Canadian, they just hated Gary Bettman. I didn't understand. Yeah, yeah, it. I was yeah. like, what? Like, what is going on? But they, I loved it.
0: Spirit of sports chemistry. You just you just get absolutely hated. So um yeah, I, I think there's a 50-50 chance they actually start play, and then I think there's a 0% chance a champion is actually crowned. I think at some point, like, there's going to be a zero for me. I mean, you see, you Put saw today, up. like, all the Cowboys are getting coronavirus and Texans are getting, like, I feel like that there's going to be an outbreak and the NBA's going to be, like, they're just going to hit the eject button. If this thing starts, mm-hmm. I feel like they're going to hit the eject button. But again, I'm no expert, so. Who the hell cares what my opinion is? I guess.
1: But well, Dr. Fauci is. So everyone go seek out Dr. Fauci. We will.
0: Uh, we will be monitoring this situation closely as it develops. As each other.
1: eventually, eventually.
0: Shout-outs, uh, Shoutouts, closeouts. What do you got?
1: Uh, shout out to the Durham Bulls. I can't mm-hmm. even get it going. Uh, Thirty-two years since it came out. One of my favorite movies. Uh, shot in North Carolina. Uh, Crash Davis is a great character. Was I the still- movie?
0: I noticed you're wearing a Anaheim. You're wearing a Mighty Ducks hat and a mm. Durham Bulls shirt. The Mighty Ducks hockey team. Was Mm. after the movie, correct? Yes. Was was Durham Bulls, was that before after always,
1: always here. They used to be the 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 tobacconist back in the day, back in the nineteen hundreds, and then they turned to the Durham Bulls. Uh and the Durham Bulls So the movie
0: is after the the team, not the other way around. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. okay, Of course, of course. And then and then this guy was a minor I think the director and the writer was a minor league player. Uh Kurt Russell on the Bill Simmons podcast one time said that it was his dream. He played minor league baseball. He said he was gonna be in this movie. Kevin Costner is not an actor I've ever liked. He took the role <laughs> from, uh, and the only movie I like Kevin Costner in is Bull Durham, and I know that if Kurt Russell was in that movie, I would just I would watch it all the time. Uh, Susan Sarandon is amazing. Uh, the whole story is great. Go check it out if you haven't seen it. Shout out to Bull uh, to Bull Durham and to the Durham Bulls. And all right, to Durham, North Carolina.
0: Uh, very good. I'm going to shout out the state of Florida who signed uh, the the name image like the governor of Florida signed the name image likeness thing. Tate, mm. Florida has now leapfrogged California. They will be the first state to enact. Uh, uh, a situation where college college athletes can get paid, college athletes have the right to get paid. But if you like read the language of it all, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the NCAA could still rule those players ineligible. But then, yes, I guess it would just can. be a big lawsuit. Yeah, they it'd can. be a big lawsuit. But uh, I, I, anyway, shout out to shout out to Florida <laughs> for, for trying to get this ball rolling even faster than the authorities. It's already inevitable. Like I said, it's inevitable. We're already down this road, but uh, Florida is is trying to to win back public opinion of the state I guess because yeah
1: <laughs> Florida's doing their best to get ahead of things I think and it's funny because we're going to send the NBA again to Florida the place that yeah, like, right, we're right, all right, like right, man right. I don't know about Florida
0: uh, But, yeah, is the U back now? Is this the first step to getting the U back? Miami football might be back with the uh the name, image, likeness thing. So.
1: I think if you're college football, I mean, they need a commissioner. I think if you're the college sports at this point, just make them professionalize it, some or semi-professional or whatever. Get commissioners in there and let yeah. them figure out how to get the U back, how to get USC back, mm. how to make sure Oregon has, like, enough cool uniforms to kind of rotate, but not rotate too much where we forget mm. that they're yep. cool. Um, there there needs to be someone in college football to do that. And then college basketball will do that. Yep. Um, which I, I want to not shout out the opposite of a shout out. I want to call out uh, mm-hmm. Silver Waves Silver Waves Media. I don't even know what that is, uh, but I need to know who they are because they yep. put a hundred most influential people in college basketball. We were not on that list, and no, John Rostin was on that John list, Rostein, and, you, yeah, and you made yeah. John Rostin, Mark Titus. Yeah, and I'm uh, upset about this.
0: I'm I'm hurt as well, but I think this is motivation. I think this is a minor setback for a major comeback. I think they're okay. just giving us bulletin board material. Uh, to right. be fair, we're not influential. I've been trying to get a I've been trying to get a coaching job for a few
1: years. It hasn't happened yet. Um, we get the first callback. We just still get that. We don't get the yeah. final. We don't get the final callback. Yeah. We're like so, Pete Gillen back in the day with Virginia. It was like he get the room, <laughs> and it's like they're still gonna go to North Carolina or Duke. We are, do. We're
0: Seth Greenberg on Selection Sunday every, every year. <laughs> <laughs> Damn! Oh shit! We, we we have our we have our whole team sitting around us because we're too dumb to realize that we're probably not getting in, and we really think it's going to happen. And then we don't see our name and we turn to our team. and We're like, guys, I did all I could. I don't know
1: what. Oh, no, you you immediately go call you know, Dick Vitale yeah, and we yeah, yell yeah. at him. That's what we do. We're like, come on, Dick, help um, us.
0: I want to shout out. The, speaking of the NCAA, I want to shout out the NCAA for uh, uh, announcing that there will be no activities taking place. November third this year, Tate. they they mm. there's a big push for this. Uh, November, make November third, which is election day, make it like a pseudo holiday. This should be, a, it should be, if we're being honest, it should be a, hol- a national holiday already. Mm. But the NCAA is doing their part. They have said uh, they're following the lead of some other schools. I think a few schools, Georgia Tech comes to mind as one. I think they're mm. one of the first ones that did it. Um, they they're not having any activities, no practices, no games, no anything. They want their players to go vote, go rock the vote. P. did. He said it all those years ago. Voter uh, yeah. die. Yeah. Voter die. Yep. The best. Man. The NCAA is is falling in line there, so that is a good move. For all the shit the NCAA gets, they finally got something
1: right. Well, I just will say this. For all the shitty holidays that we do get off, can't we just get off to go vote? Because it was always a strange thing to me. It was like we get off for, like, you know, like President's Day. You're like, Mm -hmm. I guess. Like, that's cool. And then, like... Mm -hmm. You're like maybe not Columbus Day, maybe cut that one out. Yeah, maybe yeah, we maybe. <laughs> maybe 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 change it to Voting Day. That'd be good. Yeah. Um. I got one more shout out. Shout out to the one ACC coach. Apparently from Jeff Goodman, he reported this that there is one ACC coach that is putting out to the world that they want to have an HBCU ACC type showdown uh, mm. where HBCUs play ACC schools. Uh, I think this is a great idea. I'm I honestly believe that the one coach that put this up is Tony Bennett. I cannot confirm nor deny that is who did this uh i think that that would be a great thing to do they, they talked about mlk weekend uh basketball has always had like the nba used to do an mlk weekend special I think the trent tucker rule happened uh during the mlk game back in the 90s in a Knicks bulls game so there's some history there uh i think central played it Rale- in raleigh against NC state about three years ago that was a pretty close game i have the perfect game for espn here it is winston-salem state the home of earl De pearl monroe mm-hmm. and stephen a smith Versus North Carolina in Winston Salem. Mm-hmm. The game is called by Dick Vitale and Stephen A. Smith, and it is the loudest game that of all time. Like <laughs> like those genius. two guys calling the game, Winston Salem State going crazy, the Cougars going crazy. Roy, Roy, I mean, Carolina would definitely lose. Like our team would be so like because Dickie, oh be like, baby, it's going yeah. crazy in here. Stephen A. is calling out our team for being you know weak. Uh, and I think that would be a great game. The Stephen A. Uh, special, I year. love it.
0: That's a great idea. That is a great idea. Um, I got two more shout-outs. One, I want to shout-out the, uh, the sleuths on Reddit. Uh, I, it, was, it was called to my attention that they have uncovered, Tate, that Cade Cunningham, number one recruit in the country, committed to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, as we know, has a postseason ban. Currently, they're, they're in the process of appealing it. Uh, he has deleted his OSU commitment video. That was step one. Step two, he is apparently liking pictures on – I don't know if it was Instagram or Twitter. I, I, I will have to double-check my source here. Um, but he is liking pictures of himself in a Kentucky uniform that, that people are tweeting at him or tagging him in. Uh, Photoshops of him wearing the Kentucky uniform. He is throwing the hearts of those. Interesting. That's all I'll say is interesting. Um, Coach Cal is back. I think this yeah, is right, good right. news uh,
1: for, for all the people that believe in Coach Cal being the one and done at UK, the, the guy that did it first, that did it perfect. I think if Kate Cunningham is able to kind of shift the culture back to UK being number one, this is great for Cal. This is a great, like, late. like Did you just come in and grab the kid? This is amazing.
0: Uh, finally, I want to shout out the PJ. The PJ is back. Um, I watched the Charles Schwab Classic. Um, it, it is just a tournament. I did not, all the years I've been alive, I have never once known the Charles Schwab Classic to exist. I would have never watched it before, but I was glued to my TV for four straight days watching this thing, watching Jordan Spieth uh, have a comeback mm. and then let it all slip away. Harold Varner, He's
1: we got to talk about this guy. He's the best. You know
0: about this guy before? Yeah, of course. Yes, he's Why from. Why would you he want to to Come he's on. Perfect, he's a Jordan I, I athlete. I looked him up. He's from. Uh, he's he was born in Akron. His Wikipedia says he's an Ohio guy. Oh, that so from, he's our uh, guy. So he's perfect yeah. for us. He's, he's perfect ECU. for us. That's what yeah, I'm okay, saying. Okay, great. And he smashes the shit out of the ball. He's yes. he's got it all, dude. I was I was so excited watching it. I, I felt like uh. I don't know. I, I I can't believe you're keeping it from me all these days. So, um. Anyway, shout out to PGA. That was fun. I I didn't mind the lack of fans. Did you
1: watch that at all? The, the, yeah, I watched uh, on Saturday. I didn't watch on Sunday.
0: I really didn't mind the lack of fans. I I thought I thought it would be weird. Uh, the one thing was the guy. I forget the one guy that hit the the hole in one. I forget who it was. Uh, dude hits the hole in one and there was no reaction. He didn't even know he made the hole in one because the, mm-hmm. the crowd didn't. You know, obviously wasn't there to go nuts. But all in all, like I think I'm cool with there not being fans of golf. Like I think golf is going to be. You know, I don't think there's any rush to get fans back. I'll put it that way. I don't need to hear guys yelling mashed potato.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, Baba booing on the drives. It, it does seem like for golf, that would be the perfect thing to have like a serene yeah. empty course as far as gameplay. But also, uh, you mentioned Charles Schwab. That used to be a, uh, what was it called? The senior tour. I went to, in Raleigh, they had the Charles Schwab Classic uh, like in 2006, and I went to that. And Craig Stadler won it, uh, the Walrus, hmm. and it was a great moment uh, in Senior Tour history. So Charles Schwab, great for them to to get that name recognition again. That was that was a big
0: moment. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't I don't need the fans back though. I think I uh, don't I, th- I think it's good. I don't need I don't need guys that listen to yacht rock like having a, a wayward drive like kind of goes ten yards off the rough and then you see like
1: the worst people uh, are the people that guys listen, that, that listen to yacht rock and aren't good at golf and that are out yeah. there that are doing that. Yeah, we yeah. Don't need that.
0: And you see you see these guys in Sperry's come sprinting over to to stand over a ball and like. And then there's always the one guy wearing the the red tiger polo and the black slacks. And
1: <laughs> yeah, that that was me in age 10. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't miss that at all. So, uh but anyway, PJ's <laughs> back, that's exciting.
1: Um is that it? Is that all you got? I think that's all I got. I just wanted to shout out uh this, this has been fun. I I like uh, we're we're getting to the dog days of summer as we like to say yeah. and there's nothing going on and I like to you and I watch and have played all types of sports our entire lives yeah. and uh we don't want to shoehorn ourselves here, and we want to have no, no, no. conversation no, so I, I like it. I like that we talked about baseball that listen fun. if
0: I, I can do a 20 minute conversation on baseball. I don't mind it one bit. I can talk mm-hmm. off um i I contain multitudes, state um but right now, right now, I have one thing on my mind, and it's uh it's going hiking in the mountains, so um, that's what I'm going to go do.'m I'm, I'm in Colorado. I'm going to go enjoy the altitude the the high life, and that's it. so thanks for listening. um oh, shoot, almost forgot to yeah uh, uh this Sunday is Father's Day. So first of all, all of you listening that mm. don't pay attention to your calendars, which is typically me, um, <laughs> it's Father's Day. So be prepared to call your father on Sunday mm-hmm. and, and, and tell him you love him. Or if, if you don't, I guess don't. It's your life. Do whatever you want. But it is Father's <laughs> Day on Sunday. Uh, Tate and I do love our fathers. So uh, what we're going to do for Friday's show, we are having our fathers on the show. We're going to call mm-hmm. them. We are going to have them be a part of the show. Um, And it is going to either be the best idea we've ever had or the biggest train wreck, just watching them try to figure out zoom, <laughs> as, as you're saying this right now, I have yeah. not
1: confirmed with my father. And in fact, calling him yeah. my father sounds so much more professional. I'm going to tell him when he comes on here to be a father, not a dad. Yeah. If, if my dad, if I tell him that he's, I haven't even told him he's going to be on the show yet. Uh, he's going to have a lot of thoughts, a lot of takes. He, he probably has a lot of things he wants to correct that I've said on the show. So. There's going
0: to be, there's going to be the first five minutes is going to be both of our dads explaining whether they would rather be called Mister Frazier or Coach <laughs> Frazier or like son. Yes. I'm going to tell you for the last time, you ever call me Clay again. <laughs> <laughs> and they're doing
1: yeah, never would say that. Never, never. De- yeah. Uh, definitely, yeah. Definitely not on Zoom. But we,
0: our dads, Um, I've met Tate's dad. Tate has met my dad. They might be the two human beings that talk more than anybody I have ever met in my life. They will t- You ask them one question, they will talk for hours and hours about college basketball plays that they remember, Team. To, really, the anything. That, to
1: the point that it embarrasses us. And you and I yes. have the exact same reaction where we almost like we want to get away from it. We're like, yeah, yes. I've heard that story 15 different times over. I don't need to hear it again. But then when they tell it, they're like, do you remember the story, Mark? You're like, yes. yeah, I remember the story, Dad. I remember the story. I can't
0: tell you how many times I've I've talked to your dad and he's told me a story and he'll just throw out names. I'll be like, you, you remember him, of course, Mark. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you, you could forget. And uh, yeah, uh I, I think I've made the point on here before. My My dad will throw out names from like the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And if I don't know them, he gets like mad at me. He's like, How the hell do you not know that? I was like, Dad, I was born in 87. Why would I know a guy that played <laughs> yeah. as
1: Southern Methodist in 1971? My dad's like, <laughs> you don't know Tommy Lagarde? I'm like, no, I don't know Tommy <laughs> Lagarde. I'm sorry. I don't have it on the tip of my tongue.
0: Uh so we we are very excited about this. We love our dads. Uh we Father's Day is is awesome. Uh we we are going to have them on. We are going to do like a Father's Day special. And uh for for the two guys that are most responsible for the two of us and our 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 dumb brains that remember college basketball stuff and, and the life that we've chosen as professional idiots, uh, covering college basketball. So blame them. Those, those are uh, the two guys that is happening on Friday. If that piques your interest, get excited for that. Um, cause I, I have no idea what's going to happen with that, but, uh, it, it, it should be a, it should be an experience, good or bad. It it'll be an experience. So One we're, th- we're we're gonna do it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> One thing I can guarantee, my mom is going to be upset. Uh, that yeah. she has not been invited on the show. She's probably she would say a bigger college basketball fan than my dad. So <laughs> I imagine you're problem.
0: gonna hear my mom's voice because she's gonna be sitting right next to my dad as he's doing doing the show, <laughs> and she's she's gonna be like, "Tell them, tell them about the time. Did you say the time? That <laughs> there's
1: gonna be a lot of that. But uh, my mom no. will not be whispering. She will be yelling. Clay, yeah, tell him, tell not. him. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. All right. So we will do that on Friday. See you guys then.